Hey, Velocity Church, happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers out there. Uh, you get some extra time to snuggle and spend some time together as we are in our third week of not being able to meet in person because of crazy weather. We've got ice all over the place here. We actually don't have power right now at our house, and so we are doing the best we can to come together and still worship together through through the word. And so I, I didn't really originally plan this way, plan it this way, but we are talking about a love story of sorts from the Bible this morning. It's actually one of the top three worst love stories that's in scripture. So a little bit a uh, little bit different than maybe your typical romance. And just just as a disclaimer, there are some sordid details that are part of this love story that we'll be reading from scripture this morning. So if you've got your young kids with you this morning, just a heads up on that. Uh, before we jump into scripture, though, I just want to take a second and just give my appreciation to our staff and volunteers. Last Sunday was not a planned absence for me, and uh, we'll just say that I had an unplanned doctor's visit Saturday when we had set aside time to record service because of the weather. Um, and there's so much that goes on behind the scenes at Velocity, and I'm always grateful for our staff and volunteers that makes those things happen, especially when they adapt and are capable when things don't go as planned. So I want to give a shout out to our staff and our Velocity volunteers. You guys rock. Today, we're starting a brand new sermon series through four books of the Old Testament. They are the first of 12 writings that are called the Minor Prophets. And that name isn't a commentary on how important these writings are in Scripture. It's really just a reference to their length. And they're much shorter reads than, say, the 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah, who was a prophet as well. In fact, Hosea, which we're talking about this morning, is only 14 chapters long, and that's tied with being the longest of the minor prophets. Within their pages, we find pivotal mes messages of God's justice, of his righteousness, his compassion, and his love for his people. And they reveal the nature and character of his relationship with humanity as a whole. They're invaluable to not understand how we get to Jesus, but also why we need Jesus. And that the patterns of the historical nation of Israel and its neighbors, the surrounding countries that were around them, are the same patterns that we find ourselves in today. History repeats itself. And the wisdom that comes from recognizing the warning signs of the destructive cycles of sin that we either are in or we're being tempted by, um, it's, it's not just an affront to God's holiness, but it also causes us to miss out on his blessings and his compassion for us. So we're going to be checking out the writing and the message of Hosea. And I want to start with the ending of the book because I think it's a pretty good introduction to the timelessness of the message of God's prophets. And here's, here's what the very last verse of Hosea says in Hosea 14, verse 9. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And like I mentioned before, Hosea is a love story, and there are great love stories out there. The Princess Bride is one of the greatest, and that's just simply a statement of fact. It's not an opinion at all. It has the most passionate and the most pure kiss since the invention of the kiss that, that has ever been recorded. And uh, Renee and I, we've had our own love story, and we've had our moments, not just like The Princess Bride, but we have another movie scene that's been a part of our love story. I'll never forget the time we were in college that Renee had a group of friends come together. She had me blindfolded and taken out to a different part of our, our school campus, 
out at East Campus. If you went there, you knew what East Campus was all about. And we drove out to that romantic spot and she had our friends recreate the almost kiss scene from The Little Mermaid. And still to this day, I will never forget, I get unblindfolded. There is a circle of people around us with water guns and they're squirting water in the air while there's a boombox playing, go on and kiss the girl. And sure enough, we, we did kiss. And so that, that did happen for us. And I, I seem to remember a no-bake cheesecake being a part of that little dessert picnic that we had with candlelight and stuff. And so that that's something... Uh, that will always stick out to me. And that, that no-bake cheesecake let me know that she was a keeper. And so that's a part of our love story. But Hosea's love story is is not a great love story, like I mentioned before. It's a terrible love story, actually. Uh, it, enough that I gave a disclaimer just a few seconds ago that if you have kids with you uh, that are joining you for worship this morning, uh, the Kids Grow curriculum that we have for you at VelocityChurch.info is probably going to be more more appropriate for your elementary uh, students and down the, this this love story. And chapter one of Hosea talks about this love story, but it also provides a really succinct summary of the entire message of the book of Hosea. Uh, I want to encourage you this week to spend some time reading through the whole thing. It's only 14 chapters, and so you could read two chapters a week and read the entire book of Hosea, especially if you've never read it before, if you don't spend much time in the Old Testament. I really want to encourage you to spend some time in God's Word reading through that um, because we won't cover every single detail of Hosea in, in this one message. But Hosea's ministry takes place in the 8th century in the northern kingdom of Israel. The nation at that time had been split into two halves. So you had the northern kingdom of Israel, you had the southern kingdom of Judah. And they had enjoyed wealth, they had enjoyed success as a country. They had also invited the influence of their neighbors, their neighboring countries like Assyria. They were still interested and enamored with the Egyptians as well. They had adopted the religious practice of worshiping idols and fake gods of harvest and fertility. And as a result, greed, injustice, and immorality ran rampant through the culture and their relationship with God became rote religious practice rather than a transformative relationship. And this is the problem with sin. This is the timeless problem of sin, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all of humanity, that the more commonplace sin becomes in our lives, the less room, the, the less space we have for God in our lives. And so God calls Hosea to speak uh, through his call, uh, speak through him to call his people to repentance by expressing how deep his compassionate love runs despite how they had walked away from him. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 says this, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness. To the world, to the Lord. Now that's that's a pretty poignant picture that we have through this prophet. But this was somebody's real life that God called to do this as an example for what His relationship with the nation of Israel was like at the time. The NIV uses the term promiscuous to describe Hosea's wife because maybe it's a little bit more palatable. But the thrust of the meaning there is is prostitute. It's possible that the woman Hosea chooses to marry is a temple prostitute for Baal worship, but the most important thing here is the metaphor that Hosea's wife represents, and that is the damage of unfaithfulness, in particular unfaithfulness in our relationship with God. 
And I hate that this story may hit way too close to home for some of us, as maybe maybe some of us know exactly what it's like to be in a relationship like that, where somebody has been unfaithful to us, that we've experienced this type of relationship, maybe on the receiving end, or maybe you've been on the giving end. The, the temptation to be caught up in ourselves without regard for consequence, long-term consequences, is one we need to guard against, and it's always one we'll have to heal from when it manifests itself in others. And this example doesn't really take a whole lot of imagination to appreciate how serious God is. Relationships have been irreparably broken for much less than marital unfaithfulness. But this is a picture of why our sin is so consequential. Um, it's like the guilt of unfaithfulness in marriage. And so Hosea marries Gomer, and we read in verse 3 that he marries Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. As if Hosea's marriage to Gomer isn't going to be bad and difficult enough, even the children that Hosea and Gomer have together would be named to represent how far gone God's people had strayed. Jezreel would be a reminder that the northern kingdom of Israel would fall. In fact, their Assyrian neighbors, who they were so enamored with, would come and conquer them, destroying the northern kingdom and taking people hostage as prisoners to their land. Name your daughter not loved. You know, that's got to be rough as a parent. I've heard some some bad names out there, but to, to name your daughter and then your daughter going through life, having that as her name, uh, can you imagine being that kid? You know, this is the reminder that God's love had been rejected. And if we reject his love, he is within his full rights to withhold his from us. And then naming your kid not my people. Uh, with Homer, with Hosea's, marriage to Gomer, um, who knows if this had, name had extra meaning to him, maybe maybe not even his, his son, uh, with this representing this utter rejection that the people had against God and of God uh, to his people. They were simply living as though God didn't matter at all. Uh, they were also rejecting all of the goodness that God had provided them with as a loving father. So there are deep wells of emotion throughout Hosea's writing as he describes the message of God and how God is sharing how things feel when it comes to how the nation of Israel has treated his, their relationship with him. And as human beings made in God's image, image who share the emotions of God in our life, we can step into the place of both sides of this love story. And we've, we could all place ourselves in the position of Hosea in the relationship. Hosea, of course, represents God here, and he sends Hosea in search of a wife who has all the wrong characteristics. I mean, this is not the girl of Hosea's dreams. When you set out and you think of, oh, who do I want to marry? You know, you're not going to think of somebody that is in this, this situation. 
you know, we've all been thrilled by the temptation of being in a relationship maybe that's not entirely healthy. And so maybe we found ourselves in a relationship like this without setting out to be. Uh, you know, maybe we're looking for some some life experience that has an edge to it. Maybe that heightens our sense of uh, relationship, uh, heightens our sense of adventure. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm not just talking about relationships here either in our lives or relationships, interpersonal relationships. You know, how we think about entertainment and what we consume along those lines, uh, how we uh, even handle and think about and engage with our own opinions in the world often provide the same type of thrill. And then when there's damage as a result, you know, sometimes we can think of ourselves as, as the victim. Some relationships, you can just see where they're headed, and that's why it's so important to have godly men and women who surround us in our lives to help us see those things that we're blind to. Then there are other times where we've been completely blindsided, you know, where people have changed seemingly out of nowhere. And sometimes it seems like that, but most of the time, or at least much of the time, it's a direct result of the type of character they've been developing along the way. We all know that Hosea and Gomer's relationship is not going to go well. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 3 in Hosea, God is telling Hosea to actually go hire his wife back to be exclusive with him for a time after she's left to go do her own thing. And so much of this has to do with the habits and rhythms that a person has incorporated into their life. And if those spiritual disciplines that we're called to don't exist, then you end up where Gomer is as a representation where Israel has gone. We know what it's like to be wronged by others, so we can imagine what it's like for God to give all of himself to his people and to be cheated on repeatedly as if the sovereign creator of the universe of all humanity were just a run-of-the-mill option for desire and affection. However, it's far more difficult for us to relate solely with God in this relationship because while we've all felt like Hosea or placed ourselves as being Hosea in relationships, we've all been Gomer and we've all been the Israelites whom she represents. As a people, the Israelites had become enamored with the wealth and power that political prosperity provided, so much so that instead of celebrating God, whose principles and whose blessing and positioning had, had placed them in a position to have, have these things that they had, had acquired, uh, you know, because of the relationship that he desires to share with us, good things will happen and will come. But they were thrilled by the novelty of the moment they saw in other nations and in their individual desires without regard for the spiritual consequences. They cheated on God with money, with greed, with power, with sex, with politics, with injustice. And the, these are the same things that we cheat on God with as well. We cheat on God with greed, you know, because we're concerned with wealthiness and our own comfort. We cheat on God with power. We think about military might and how it might save us or the, the positions that we want to be in so we can direct our own destiny. Uh, we, you know, cheat on God with immorality, with sex and, and different ways of thinking about how relationships should go other than how God has called, called us to enter into relationships. We cheat on God with politics, whether it's we want to be like other nations or we want to be this type of nation, whatever, whatever it might be. We look at that as a solution versus what God has called us to in the kingdom of God. Then we cheat on God with injustice by not loving our neighbors as ourself, as God calls us to, by not loving our enemies, by not caring for the poor, for those who are marginalized. And the promise of bearing the fruit of relationship with God for all time was not enough for people when they were caught up in living only for the moment. And this is enough to break any relationship. 
you know, think about how many moral failures does it take for a relationship to end? Really only one. Should it always be that way? Not necessarily. We don't want it to be that way, and it's not that way with God. But even the most faithful among us in following Jesus will struggle after multiple things. And for anyone who has cheated on God, which is all of us, by the way, that is that is our sin, uh, that's the position we have placed him in to determine whether or not to keep the relationship going. And that type of rejection of others is a grief to bear that weighs heavily. You know, our sin isn't only about us doing the wrong thing. It's that we're worshiping the wrong relationship. Quite frankly, it's one of the toughest parts of ministry and trying to point people to Jesus. And prophets like Hosea were regularly rejected as they communicated God's message because people were so often carried away by the moment they were in rather than the meaningful meaningfulness that God had called them to in eternity. And that type of idolatry is what removed God's blessing from the Israelite people. It's what causes our relationship to be broken with God, his blessing to be removed from us because of our sin. Yet, despite God being fully justified and being able to dust his feet off from us, to wash his hands of us, he is infinitely compassionate and gracious and merciful to us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, God says this. He says, My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. This is a reference to, to Israel. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. And so back in chapter one, after God had told Hosea to marry Gomer and have children with her and name them as reminders of the broken relationship Israel created with God, here's how chapter one ends. Hosea 1 verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said of them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So right after the pronounced judgment of chapter 1 through verse 9, verse 10 starts with really would be a better chapter 2, verse 1, as it is in the Hebrew Bible. We have this ultimate trajectory of God's promise to redeem his people, that they would be called, they would be, they would go from being called scattered about and no pity and not my people to made whole, brought in, shown compassion and children of the living God. With verse 11 being a clear messianic prophecy of the coming of Jesus. In fact, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Hosea, yes, it's one of the worst love stories ever told. The story of Homer, of Homer, of Hosea and Gomer coming together in marriage. Yet it's there for us to understand just how singular the love story between God and humanity really is. Because despite our unfaithfulness, God continues to pursue us. He buys us back through Jesus and his compassion prevails over our selfishness. God's compassion is more powerful than our sin. And while we deserve rejection, his desire for us is to experience and share healing and salvation. I want to encourage you to read through Hosea this week, but I especially want to encourage you after we conclude our worship together 
that you read Hosea 14, maybe, uh, you know, just to yourself or, or with your family, whoever you're with this morning. I want, I want you to encourage you to continue your worship by reading Hosea chapter 14 right after, because Hosea teaches us about the impact of our sin, and it teaches us about the overpowering grace of God despite it. If you're ready to experience the other side of that relationship with God, maybe you haven't already said yes to Jesus uh, and to his compassion, then we would love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized, to be a follower of Jesus and start that relationship. But if you already are a follower of Jesus, be encouraged and be reminded of what we have begin, what we have been forgiven of. Because this this transforms how we live life, how we think about the things that happen around us and to us, how we think about what place we are in the relationship. Because yes, despite the consequences of our sin, God still offers redemptive grace and mercy and compassion and love to us so that our lives can be changed and so we can share that changed life with other people. So we can show that same type of love and compassion and graciousness and mercy to, to others. As we spend some time this morning celebrating communion together, as we focus in on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, may, may we think about the type of love story that God calls us into, that while we might be the ones who have been unfaithful, while we might be the ones who still cheat, that, that God still redeems us to himself and he offers us a brand new relationship and life through Christ. So let's share in that time together as we pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship and for the story of uh, Hosea and Gomer and how how you react to this situation that you have been placed in by our sin different from anyone else. That, that you are infinitely compassionate, infinitely gracious and merciful for to us that you offer us a free gift of salvation from the consequences of our own ruination of our relationship with you. God, we ask you to remind us of that through the Holy Spirit and help us to keep, uh, help us to keep our, our hearts and minds and our souls uh, not just in the, in the moment uh, of life, but also in, in the far-reaching um, not only consequences, but also blessings that we have when we keep our eyes fixed on our relationship with you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.